0: Well, if you would, turn to Psalm 121, a very familiar psalm to us all. One of my, one of my favorite psalms, a psalm that really does serve my soul um, quite regularly. A psalm that is very well known from the Sound of Music. Mother Superior said this psalm to Maria, if you remember in that, in that story. As psalm 121 is a familiar psalm to many of us, and throughout history it has come, become known as the traveler's psalm. Three times each year, the Israelites made their way to and from Jerusalem to celebrate feasts that God had instituted. And these journeys to Jerusalem, people were in outlying areas, these journeys to Jerusalem um, three times a year were actually very dangerous journeys. The the pilgrim travelers that would make their way to Jerusalem for these festivals had to contend with, with scorching heat. The sun by the day. They had to contend with the cold at night. They would walk upon rocky, narrow mountain paths alongside of steep cliffs. They might encounter wild animals, and certainly the prospect of thieves on these mountains, hiding in these mountains, uh, were, were possible. It was a dangerous journey, both coming to Jerusalem and going, and it was filled with much vulnerability and anxiety. That's that's the, the makeup of Psalm 121. And let me read it to you. So follow along with me. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Father, thank you for giving us this psalm for the words of encouragement and hope and trust that it builds into us because of you and your character. And Lord, as we study this psalm today, we, we ask for your presence to be with us. We ask for your illumination by your spirit to open eyes and hearts, not just to hear your word, but to, to ingest it deep down into our souls that we might be transformed by your words for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight my very first trip to India, I was going with another pastor from Sovereign Grace. He lived in one part of the country. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and we agreed to meet in Detroit, catch a KLM flight to Amsterdam, then Amsterdam, to Bombay, and then Bombay across to the other side of India, about a thirty hour trip. I had never been to India. this pastor had been to India. And so he was guiding all the way. So I got to my, I got to the airport in Atlanta, Maryland, and the kids all, you know, were there with me to drop me off. This is when you were allowed to go to the gate and you know say your goodbyes and stuff. And and I got to, I got to the ticket counter, and they said to me, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, your flight to to Detroit's canceled." It's like I'm going to India, I, I and I'm leaving from Detroit, and they said, "Well, sir." I I see your itinerary, we can just put you on a flight here to Amsterdam. And I thought, why didn't this guy think of that in the first place? Just fly down to Atlanta, we could leave together from there. So I said, all right, listen, I'll, I'll meet this guy in Amsterdam. So I get on my flight and I get to Amsterdam. And then I go to the flight he's supposed to be on that I was supposed to be on in Detroit. And when I get there, I wait and I wait and I wait, and this guy does not get off the plane. Turns out his flight to Detroit was canceled. And he's now a day and a half behind me. Now, I've never been to India. Did I say that? (laughs) And so I thought, do I wait here in Amsterdam? Or do I go to India? And I thought, I'm going to India. So I get on the plane, and I get to India. And I get there at at 2 o'clock in the morning. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, India. You have to say, all international flights arrive in India after midnight. And so literally, there are... Thousands upon thousands of people milling outside. I have no idea where to go. Dan had, this guy had booked the hotel. I had no idea who to talk to. So I just just went to the first Indian-looking booth that said hotel on it and said I need a hotel and so the guy said okay in his Indian accent and he said go out to the parking lot stand in the parking lot somebody will meet you so at 3 o'clock in the morning I'm standing in the parking lot in India in 85 degree heat humidity and I'm waiting with my bag and I'm seeing thousands of people and then this this old man he's even older than me this old man comes and he drives up in this beat up car that was built in 1892 (laughs) and and he says, I, I, I'm taking you to your hotel. So he grabs my bag, and we get in, and we're driving down these side streets of India. And I, and I thought, oh, I'm dead. This is, he's he's going to rob me. I'm dead. Goodbye, Marilyn. Goodbye, kids. Seriously, it was, that's how bad it was. And, and finally, out of the blue, we pull in, and here's this tiny little hotel, this Indian hotel. And, and, and that's where I stayed. And, and so I, and I, 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 I lived. And so I... I I got into the hotel, spent the night, and I had had to get to the domestic airport, which was basically the same as the international airport, but the domestic airport's on the other side of the city. So you get to the domestic airport. So I get to the domestic airport, and and already I am just filled with anxiety. I don't know where I am. Dan's supposed to be with me. And I'm going across the country to meet a man named Yesu Padam, whose name I just learned how to spell, and who I have never met before. I don't know what he looks like. And so I, I get all the way to the domestic airport, and, th- and I get to Indian Airlines. Now, Indian Airlines at that time in 1998 was a government-run airline. Flights were canceled at a moment's notice for days on end. I, I get to my, I get to my, my airline, and, and there's, there's just crowds of people. I finally get on the airline, and I walk, and I sit at my seat, and I look up. And a large section of the ceiling is duct taped. <laughs> From where does my help come? Psalm 121 reveals the anxiety of this pilgrim traveler as he begins his journey in a similar way that my anxiety was revealed. Now scholars, scholars are, are divided, unsure if this traveler is Going to Jerusalem for a worship festival, or if he's leaving Jerusalem. And most support the leaving for, from Jer- Jerusalem after the festival. But either way, he's about to embark on a journey, most likely home. And as he looks to the hills he must cross, he is aware of the danger that he is about to face. And so when he says, I look to the hills, I lift up my eyes to the hills, that's not a sign of comfort. It's a sign of anxiety. I I lift up my eyes to the hills. I know the dangers that are there. The danger of thieves and robbers, the scorching sun, the, the cold at night, the wild animals, most important, the rocky, narrow paths that I must walk. He is about to embark on this journey the hills he must cross and he is aware and his confidence, his confidence at that moment is only from the Lord. He is, he is declaring in verse, in verse one and two, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Without, without God's help, he is saying, I will not be safe at all. Now, much like this pilgrim, we face numerous dangers in our journey through this world. Maybe not mountains and wild animals, but evils. And like this pilgrim, these words of assurance in this psalm are meant for us as well. Uh, so, the words that I have spoken as I've left for the day, as I go out about my business for the day. Psalm 121 is a psalm of assurance. That's what the writer intends. It's meant to provide assurance not only to this pilgrim here in this this passage on his way home, but to all who read this psalm as they are journeying, whether going to or coming from, Through a world that is filled with danger and filled with pain and filled with sorrow, filled with tragedy, filled with evil, filled with fear, filled with temptation, discouragement, trials, you can go on and on. That is the world that we we exist in day in and day out because it's a broken world. It was a world broken by sin. It's a world affected by sin. It's a world scripture says groans, groans under the weight of sin. Until the Lord will return. That's the world we walk through. That's the anxiety that we can experience. There are, there are many hills of danger we can look at with anxiety as we are traveling through life. Those of us who are older can fear Alzheimer's. We can fear Parkinson's. We can fear frailty. We can fear being abandoned and lonely. Parents can, can fear the danger of losing a child. Oh, if you've, ever, if you've ever misplaced a child in a store or many, many years ago when David was, was four, or three. He was three years old. Marilyn and I were in, in um, Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, visiting some friends of my parents. And they had a beautiful house right on a canal. And we were spending the afternoon with them. And, and they made us lunch. And we're sitting around talking. And uh, Jenny was just a little baby. Yeah, she, was a, she was an infant. She had just been born. Um, David's three. And so we're talking. And all of a sudden, it's like, where's David. You know, that, you know that feeling as a parent. Where's David? And the first thing I do is I look out at the canal. I'm thinking, he's three years old. Did he get out? And I am running up and down that canal, screaming David's name and not seeing anything. And I'm looking all outside around the yard, and I do not see David. And then I go looking through the house, and in about 10 minutes later, I hear this little voice. He had found a bathroom, was sitting on the potty, reading a book, having the time of his life, while Dad was growing older by the minute. You understand the the fear of losing, and those those are the kinds of dangers parents can face. They they face the fear of of a child becoming ill, or most, or a child becoming wayward. Oh, that fear of the future. What will my child be like? Married couples fear losing a spouse, facing loneliness, poverty, divorce, or a seriously disabled spouse. We can fear economic disaster, losing a job, or, or some cause of financial ruin. We can often fear the enemies of our faith, whether in our neighborhood or workplace or family. These, these are the hills that we look to. I, I look to the hills And they make me anxious. The future makes me anxious. Psalm 121 speaks to all these anxious thoughts and fears. And it assures us that God is always present. Even when he seems most absent. God is always present. Even when he seems most absent. It, it, this psalm assures us that on all our journeys. Here's the, here's the theme of this psalm. It assures us that on all our journeys, the Lord will constantly keep us if we trust in him. The Lord will constantly keep us if we trust in him. Now in this psalm, it appears there are two voices speaking. One is the pilgrim traveler in verses 1 and 2. And then, then there's a shift And and there's there's a voice speaking from without. And it appears most likely that it's the Levitical priest who is in the temple as this man is making his way back home after the feast. And this this priest is, is giving this traveler words of assurance. So three, three points this morning. This psalm is divided into three stanzas. The first one is the Pilgrim's Trust, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills, to this, this anxiety, to this challenge, to this, this possibility of danger. I lift up my eyes to the hills, period. And then he goes, from where does my help come? And here he, my help comes from the Lord. My help. My, where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. That is, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The, the Lord, the King of all creation. The sovereign one, the ruler. My help comes from the Lord. And not, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at Lord. He says the maker of heaven and earth. The creator. The one who's created all things. The pilgrim's trust the festival is over and the pilgrim worshiper is ready to return home and before he takes those very first steps he gazes he gazes at those mountains he must cross and with he has this vulnerability that he must once again face but he, and he doesn't begin he's not comforted by these hills he's afraid of these hills they're dangerous they're the cause of his anxiety. and anxiety and that's why he asks himself this question where does my help come from And he knows he needs help for this dangerous journey. He knows he needs divine help. But rather than giving in to the fear of the dangerous hill, he answers his own question. He speaks to himself. He preaches to himself. He says, where does my help come from? Your help, my help comes from the Lord. And it's like he's looking in a mirror and he's saying, yeah, listen up. Listen up, soul. My help Comes from the Lord. He answers his own question by expressing his trust in the God who is very willing to help him. He challenges his own temptation to fear by remembering the very God of Israel whose majesty he had just seen worshiping in this temple during this feast. He's reminded of God. And even among the dangerous hills, he's confident. He's confident in the one who brings help because God is his guardian because he is his creator, the maker of heaven and earth. Listen, who else better to protect him than the one who has created the very mountains he must journey through? The point is that the Lord has created everything. And Then he created the very hills his pilgrim must walk through. And and whatever the Lord has created, he knows the Lord will control. See, he trusts in God's sovereignty. He's thinking, he's thinking theologically. He's not just thinking emotionally. No, no, emotions are there. But he's thinking theologically. He's thinking about God. He's thinking about who God is. He's thinking about the character of God. He's thinking about the majesty of God. He's thinking about the power of God. He's thinking about who God is. Who is God? He is Lord. He's Yahweh, yes. But he's also the maker of heaven and earth. Nothing is not under everything is under god's control he is the one who controls all things and that leads this man to look with confidence at the lord and we brothers and sisters we can sing this same psalm because the creator of heaven and earth has promised us that in christ He will always be with us. Even when he might seem absent, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. He will always be with us, even till the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. That's what this man knows. Is that that what you know? When you look to the hills and you wonder, what lies ahead? What, What lies ahead for my future? What dangers am I going to have to face? Is it, going to be, is it going to be being widowed? Is it going to be a miscarriage again? Is it going to be financial difficulty again? Is it going to be illness? What are the hills that, that cause you anxiety? We sing this psalm. When we need his help, he always comes. The maker of heaven and earth proved his faithfulness when he came to us in our most desperate time of need. He did it by sending his own son to rescue us from the worst and ultimate danger, the final judgment of sin, our sin. He rescued us from death and he brought us to life. He freed us from the bondage of sin. He defeated our worst enemy, who was fiercely committed to steal our souls, and if not able to steal our souls, then to steal our joy and usefulness in this life. That's the enemy, Satan, that we face. Jesus came. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Our, our trust is in the maker of heaven and earth who will help us through every danger we face. It's not only this pilgrim's theology that assures him, but now another voice comes in to make sure he stands firm. So the first, the first point is the pilgrim's trust. The second point is the priest's assurance. Verses 3 through 6. All of a sudden this second voice comes in. Now imagine this, this, this traveler, he's a pilgrim, he's, he's been to the feast, he's ready to go home, he's standing there, have, hasn't quite taken those first steps, he's looking at the mountains, and he's thinking, okay, this is anywhere from a, a two to four day journey that I have to take through those mountains, it's going to be hot, it's going to be cold, there's danger, and, 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 he's, and he's looking at those hills, and now this voice behind him, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will. I love that. He will not. He who keeps you will not. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither. The Lord will keep you safe. Six times in this song, the priest uses the word keep, the Hebrew meaning uh, shamar, which means to guard. Repetition in scripture has very powerful meaning to repeat again and again. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will protect you. The Lord will guard you. He will not let your foot be moved. Now think about this. He's walking. He's walking on a mountain. He's walking on narrow paths, rocky pathways, steep cliffs on the side. And he hears these words. He will not let your foot be moved. As you walk through the danger of the hills, he will hold you fast. He will hold you firm. He will not let your foot be moved. In fact... While he's doing that, he, he will. He who keeps you, he who guards you, he won't slumber. Now, there's a difference between slumbering and sleeping. We all know sleeping. Slumbering is, is kind of that, like my, what my dad does. He'll lay in a chair and he'll close his eyes and I'll say, Dad, and he goes, I'm just resting my eyes. He's, he's slumbering. He's kind of in that daze. Like what some of you do sometimes on Sunday morning when the message gets longer than it should be. Um, he, he, God does not slumber. He does not close his eyes. He does not rest his eyes. He does not take his eyes off of you for one moment. And just to make sure we get it, this priest says to this man, Behold! Behold! Now, that in Scripture is is like a trumpet being sounded. Get this. Don't, Don't let this go. Behold. Hear my voice. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The imagery here is vivid. God is ever watchful. He's keeping you secure. This man secure. He's never slumbering or sleeping. Every step is watched over. To Emphasize the Lord's watchfulness. He keeps repeating. Listen, in Psalm 44, the psalmist felt as though God did fall asleep. The psalmist says this, Because of you, we are being killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And then this is a a prayer, a cry, a pleading to God, Rouse yourself! Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake! Do not cast us off forever! Have you ever felt like God has fallen asleep on you? If you're honest... (laughs) say, yeah, I just wondered where he's been. Listen, this priest assures the traveler, God will never do either of these things because, because here, theologically, it's by his very nature, he can't. He can't. He, God, God is omnipresent, which means he's always everywhere at the same time. And he's omniscient, which means he is aware of all things. At all times. He mean he's aware of you. He's always there and he's always aware. That is who this God is. And then, and then he moves it. He says, Listen, he, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And then look at verse 5. He goes, he gets very personal. He says, Listen, listen, my friend. And this psalm is talking to you this morning. It is saying, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord isn't just Israel's keeper. Lord is your keeper. Even whatever trial you are walking through right now, whatever fear you're experiencing, whatever illness you are battling, whatever suffering you, you live under, the Lord is making it known that the Lord is your keeper presently because he loves you. Because he sent his son to die for you. Because his son rose from the dead, putting to death, death. and Casting aside the bondage of sin that we were all under. The Lord is your keeper. Those aren't aren't shallow words. The Lord is your keeper. That's the main point of this psalm. I look to the hills. The Lord is my keeper. I I look at this broken relationship, but the Lord is my keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Not only is the Lord Israel's keeper, yours as well. The God who made heaven and earth, the God who rules the universe, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God who who has done all these things personally watches over you and me. He's close at hand by your side. So close that the psalmist goes the the priest goes on to say, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now, in, this is alluding to battle. Uh, when, when a soldier was in battle, he held, he held a, the shield primarily in his left hand and a sword in his right hand, but he was, he was not protected on his right side. And so w- this, is, this is alluding to the Lord is your protector on your right side. He's your shield and strength on your right side. He is there to guard you and protect you. Alexander the Great was once asked why he slept so well on the battlefield. And he said, well, because I have Paraminio always guarding me. He had a friend standing by guarding him. That's who God is. And in verse 6, he says, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He protects you day and night. Sun, sun and moon here are figurative. They're, they're intending to convey anything that goes on Under the sun and moon, whatever's going on in your life, that wherever you are and whatever you're doing and whenever you are, he is watching. Day and night, he is watching. Even in the heat of your daily trials and the terrors that we can face at night, and we all can face terror at night. In fact, nighttime is is sometimes the worst time. I, I remember seven years ago when in... Charlotte, when I was the pastor at the church in Charlotte, and we were going through this difficult season with Sovereign Grace, as many of you are aware, and um, our church lost a lot of members. We went from 800 to 400 in, in just a few months. And so the two oldest guys on staff sat around looking at each other, thinking, financially, one of us needs to go. And we made the decision, that would be me. I'd been in ministry for 30 years. I was 58 years old. I have a teaching degree, but I haven't used it in 38 years. And I'm lying in bed at night. Thankfully, Marilyn's asleep. And I am wide-eyed. I'm 58 years old. I have no skill. I'm not even sure McDonald's would hire me. What am I going to do? And I can tell you that night times were the worst times. Or the time that I was waiting on a cancer biopsy. Night times are the worst times. The terror by night. And the the psalmist here saying, listen, nothing will strike you because the Lord is your keeper. He is keeping you. Even when you feel the terror of night, The fear of the unknown. The Lord is keeping you. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This wise priest's assurance is meant to comfort this man. And as we read this psalm, the question is, what do you fear? What do you fear? What what gives you anxiety? Anxiety. Does it seem that God is absent at times? The, the priest makes it clear, don't fret. He is your keeper. He is always watching over you. The Lord, and then the third stanza, so we have the, the pilgrim's trust, the priest's assurance. And the third one, verses seven and eight, the Lord's promise. Here, the psalm in in 7 and 8, the psalm climaxes as the priest shifts from this man's present journey to his future under God's keeping care. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. If you haven't gotten it by now, get it. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this moment forth and forevermore, forevermore the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. This, this is the comprehensiveness of God's protection. God's protection covers every area of your life, not just enemies from without, but also enemies from within. Remember, in, in, in Jude, Jude 24, we read that psalm as a benediction, that the Lord will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from that evil. God is, is keeping you from falling. Falling. Because there are things that can cause us to fall. He will, and this says in verse 7, listen, He will keep your life. There is that repeated again. He will keep your life. Not just your journey to and from Jerusalem, but throughout your entire life, the Lord will be with you. And then in verse 8, He he expands it to, to the eternal. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in forevermore. When you go to work, when you go shopping, when you go to church, as you go through this life, moment by moment, he keeps you. Every going out and every coming in is under the protection of the one who made heaven and earth. And more importantly, forevermore expands the Lord's keeping beyond our earthly journey. It's wonderful to read a psalm of assurance, is it not, that declares God's protection? But my question is this. Are we really safe? Are we really safe from the evils of this world? Is this really true? Is the Christian life one where trouble never comes? At times, our experience tells us something very different. Because even as Christians, we we suffer, we have pain, we have heartache, we have enemies, we have fear, we have anxiety, we have terror, we have other troubles. So, So what does it mean when the psalmist tells us that God will keep us from all evil? What does it mean that he will always keep us? Eugene Peterson, in his commentary, said this, He said the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is, the difference is that each step we walk each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. Ultimately, what it means is that God protects us from the greatest evils of all, Satan, sin, and death. That's what we're protected from. The judgment we deserve because of our sin was placed on Christ. And and because we're in Christ, we are no longer under the penalty of sin, under judgment, because Jesus' death and resurrection assures us of the promise that we have been freed from that. That is the greatest, in a sense, evil of all, that we place ourselves under because of our sin. Now what what greater protection can there be than from the judgment of God that Christ stands before the Lord on our behalf? What what greater what greater protection can there be? Because what greater what greater tragedy can there be but to be under the judgment of God because we have rejected Christ? What greater joy can there be to know that Jesus has died for our sins and he's defeated Satan and he's taken our judgment and he promises, he promises to protect and preserve our lives forever. That is what makes this psalm so assuring. It reminds us of the good news of the gospel. Yes, yes, my friends. To a person in this room, we can attest evil does happen to us. Pain and suffering and persecution are very much a part of the Christian life. But God promises to protect us from any evil that tries to separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life, life exposes us to many dangers, but none are beyond God's shelter and care. That's the point of this psalm. Psalm 23, David writes these, these, immor- these words that just live with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and staff they comfort me, even though I walk through the valley. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will. We all will. But God is with us. As sheep, we are following the good shepherd who guards us and loves us and feeds us and protects us. Brothers and sisters, we're not, we're not blind to trouble, but we don't have to fear it because Jesus told us in John sixteen thirty three. listen, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Whatever you are facing, whatever you are fearing, whatever you are fretting, take heart. God has overcome the world. God is walking with you. God is watching over you. And God is keeping you in his promised care. That's what God is doing.